Hello. Yo. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Emily. <laughs> Hi, Stevie. How are you? <laughs> We're sending reactions back and forth to each other on Zoom. Oh. <gasps> okay, we people can't see this. <laughs> okay, how goes it? Good. I'm pretty hungover. I know, I'm so sorry. It's okay, it happens. I had to jump my wall and crawl through my doggy door. And I don't think I've crawled through that doggy door since I was like maybe 13. It was smaller than I remember, but I made it. That's my story. I feel like doggy doors are small. Yeah, even though I have a big dog, it, it's still quite small. Not roomy, that's for sure. I'm so proud of you that you made it in. Thank you. It was a journey. I was in a dress, boots. Icon. Thank you. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Just, uh, you know, living my silly little life. <laughs> Can we all have silly little lives? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, for today is what I wish a wise old woman told me corner. Um, <laughs> it's a name change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, today we have some questions about compulsory heterosexuality. And I'm going to give sweet baby Emily the reins here because, <laughs> because I just want to know all of your thoughts. Steve and I were talking about this briefly, briefly before this, but like I have a lot of thoughts. Um, and so I'm really going to try my best to like keep it within the topic of the questions that we got about them because um, I, could, I could really... Uh, I could really talk about this forever. <laughs> so we have um, like over 200 more episodes to yeah. fit that in. Hell yeah. <laughs> we have, we're going to be talking about two that kind of revolve around similar things. One of them is I recently came out to my mom as a lesbian and she was super supportive and it was a chill convo like they normally are when it comes to big things like that for us. But one thing I can't stop thinking about was how she kept saying, but how do you know? And how do you know that you won't find a guy or a person to be attracted to them? And I feel so comfortable with identifying as a lesbian. It has changed my life. But since um, my life before was ruled by compulsory heterosexuality and still kind of is, it's a constant battle to reassure myself. And her comment has really irked me. I know she meant well because when I asked her how do you know you aren't a lesbian? She said she didn't know. So I guess I was just questioning. So I guess she was just questioning how I could be so sure about it if she's never felt that sure about something. I didn't know how she'd react when I told her it. So I said it softly at first, if I'm by going, if I'm ever in a relationship, it won't be with a guy, but I just wanted to yell, mom, I'm so fucking gay because I'm so sure of it. I, am I wrong for feeling agitated about her comments because I feel so strongly and certain in my sexuality now? So that was one of them. <laughs> and then one of them. The second is, so then somebody else said, hey guys, so I don't know really what the question is, but I've recently identified myself as asexual after many years of struggling with a lot of confusion regarding my sexuality. Your podcast came in just at the perfect time and I love listening to all your conversations and it makes me feel less alone since the only people I can talk to about this are my two best friends who I can't even see at the moment because we've been in quarantine since March nonstop. Anyways, I guess my question is more about compulsive heterosexuality that I seem to not be able to keep out of my head. I still keep thinking that I'm repressing sexual feeling for fear of feeling exposed or that I need to try and date a guy when I just know that's not how I feel and it's not a way of invalidating my sexuality. Oh, and it's just a way of invalidating my sexuality. Okay, so. Go, baby. Here we go. I'm nervous for some reason. Don't, I'm here. You got this. Um, okay, I'm just going to preface because... 
I, I don't want to make this about me, even though I have, um, this is very close to me in my heart. All you can do is um, speak from personal experience. So yeah, I, I made this like very, um, girlfriend to girlfriend, you know, like gal to gal. That's our thing. You know, and then I do, um, talk about some personal things because I think the more experiences that you have with knowing that this is literally just something that is so stupid, um, the easier it is to dismantle and start to believe. Um, so firstly, I just want to say, um, to both of those lovely people in our inbox, um, we see you and we're so proud of you and you are like so incredibly brave and badass. Um, so to the asexual person in our inbox, um, all I have to say is that you have two more best friends in this space always. It's true. And I know, yeah, you are never alone and you don't need to try anything you don't want to. Don't ever be a people pleaser, but especially do not be a people pleaser when it comes to your identity. Um, don't conform to the ego and the comfortability of the people around you. Um, that is such an act of self-harm. And um, I think a helpful question is to say, who am I doing this for? Who am I compromising myself for? And if the answer is not you, if the answer is somebody else, if the answer is I am, if the answer is not, I am doing this for me, you should not entertain those thoughts. And so this thing that you're questioning about yourself is an intentional effect of heteronormative and patri- of a heteronormative and patriarchal society. It's completely normal that you feel this way in the world that we live in. Um, and it usually stems from the fact that men can no longer control us physically as much as they used to. Um, and so because that legislative part of this is, is out of the question, they do it psychologically. And that slows us down a lot. And it prevents us from achieving our truest, most genuine, most liberated self. Another thing that's been helpful is that I know something is not for me when I start dreading even the thought of it. Mm-hmm. And so if dating gives you that feeling, if exposing sexual desire gives you that feeling, then they just aren't for you. And that's okay. Yeah. So I hope that was helpful. Um, and then to the other lovely lesbian baby in our inbox, of course your mom's comment irked you. Like, yeah, like duh. Of that course, <laughs> that's putting it lightly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and no, you're not wrong at all for feeling agitated about her comments. Like, I just, I really just want to shake you and tell you how valid that feeling is. I think although what you described sounds a little bit more like a la- just a lack of trust between the two of you rather than her actual reaction or opposition to your sexuality, um, it is absolutely valid to feel irked mm. by what she said and agitated by it. Um, and I think also remembering that many people aren't responding to you. They're responding to their assumptions about you and their beliefs about themselves. I don't know why your mom felt like she needed to question a fact that you're telling her. This is like such a gift that you're sharing with her about yourself. Rachel Ricketts has a um, quote on her Instagram that says, people can only meet you as deeply as they have met themselves. Love that. And so again, this is such a reflection of your mom and not an insight into something that's wrong with mm-hmm. you at all. Um, You said, I feel so comfortable with identifying as a lesbian and it's changed my life. I feel so strongly and certain in my sexuality. That's all you need. Like repeat that to yourself over and over and over again whenever she questions 
this part of you. You don't need her approval to be exactly the way you are at the end of the day. Um, you don't need her understanding to be a lesbian. And would it be ideal for the people we love to be both accepting and understanding yes. and even celebratory of our identities? Of course. Um, but that won't always be the case. And with that being the baseline, um, we, it's important that we recognize we have to seek that validation internally always. Um, and then I have like a little template if you want, if this would be helpful for setting that boundary with your family, but we can put that in the yeah. thread because I don't. So look for it, baby. Yeah. So in terms of compulsory heterosexuality, um, because the um, second one that Stevie read was a little bit more general, um, I, we, you know, we wanted to just go over that as a general concept, um, concept yeah. exactly, in society. Um, in addition to specifically answering each yeah. question. Um, because I think this is something that a lot of people, I mean, it's fantastic that you were able to recognize that this is what is the stem of all of your feelings and that it's not actually um, something that you're unsure yeah, of. Sometimes like, that's it the is hardest part. amazing. Totally. And so maybe talking about this will help other people who haven't gotten as far um, on that healing journey as you. So I think it's important to remember that heterosexuality is literally shoved down our throats <laughs> since before we come out of the womb. Um, and then after we've come out of the womb, it's framed as the default. So of course, anything that is an, an extension away from that is going to make you feel like you're in the wrong um, or that you're really not sure or that it's, it should breed an insecurity mm -hmm. there the way that we're bombarded by this heterosexuality, part of it is in the form of the gender binary where we split the world into a boy and girl and frame that as being two, heart, two parts to a whole. And so of course, existing outside that binary and that state of normativity is a rebellion. And for all intents and purposes, it's an other. And so that stance can be very uncomfortable and as, as any stance of resistance always will be. And so it's totally normal to question yourself as a result of that external pressure, um, even when you know internally without a doubt that this is how you would like to identify, that this is who you are. Um, so something that's helped me frame this is um, in college, I read um, Judith Butler's Performative Acts and Gender Constitution. I love her. I know, right? And she talks about, I'm not going to know how to say this, Maurice Merleau-Ponty. It's okay. We're not professionals. <laughs> that's my best, that's my best shot. Things, right? I also did not, I also did not take French. I took Spanish. Um, <laughs> yeah, same. I took four years of Spanish. Do you think I could pronounce it even if yeah. it wasn't Spanish? No. <laughs> You're fine. We'll put it in the thread and you can Google Translate it. I don't fucking know. Maybe some yeah, of you can, and you can give it. Yeah, you can give it your best go if you don't. <laughs> Just like us. Send us those Twitter so, voice notes. I mean, you're trying to pronounce this. So <laughs> Judith Butler talks about him, and he basically maintains that not only um, not only that the body is a historical idea, but a set of possibilities to be continually realized. And in claiming that the body is a historical idea rather than a natural species, he means that it gains its meaning through a concrete and historically uh, mediated expression of the world. Um, 
Judith Butler says that viewing identity as a set of possibilities on the one hand gives agency to the expressor, while unfortunately, on the other hand, it also allows them to be necessarily contained by available historical conventions. And so, um, so because your body is a historical idea, it's going to be stuck with all of the ideas of like that have passed through history. So it's not going to, you can't have a body that like has a fresh slate kind of. So basically he's saying like, it can be transformed is essentially what he's saying. Like the way that you are born and the, um, the, um, like dogmas that are placed on you at birth Mm -hmm. are not necessarily ones that you have to carry with you for the rest of your life. Having the ability to shape and celebrate ourselves and our sexual identities the way we want is empowering, but existing in that space in a world where there has been an established norm can have great influence over how we ultimately use that agency to see ourselves. It's important to remember that heteronormativity has has fucked all of us up, like to the point where we would rather be in a toxic relationship that fits the mold of what society has deemed acceptable with abuse that's been normalized and even romanticized in certain situations than be single and empowering um, and embodying our fullest selves. But having said that, internalized homophobia is very common and that can contribute to why um, that... Um, also is a thing Um, and it sounds a little bit like both of these questions like there is a little bit of that Mm -hmm. at the end of the day um, compulsory heterosexuality is completely a hurdle that has been put in front of us by a patriarchal and heteronormative society and so and and yet it's unfortunately something that we need to heal from um, and that we need to avoid and that we need to overcome so something that's helped me um is literally sitting down and writing lists of like all of the things that I love about women Mm -hmm. and I know Florence Given did a highlight basically just asking Mm -hmm. the queer women who follow her what they love about girls um and I just fucking bask in that um or like fantasizing about women or writing erotica about women reading I I say erotica or reading erotica I say but really I mean Stella and Scully's Mm -hmm. (laughs) um And just ultimately harnessing how much joy your sexuality or your identity brings you um, is what ultimately will save you. Um, Because unfortunately, societal changes take, you know, a large and massive monumental shift in Mm -hmm. um, popular thought. So until that, we work towards that. This is something that you can do because you deserve that. You deserve to be 100% secure and sure and um happy with and celebrated in your identity yeah um and so yeah in order to subvert and suffocate those pressures of compulsory heterosexuality just overcompensate with actions and thoughts and the consumption of things that make your heart flutter um and that make you really happy Mm -hmm. and so this was difficult because obviously we can't tell you that you're asexual. We can't tell you that you're a lesbian. Only you can tell yourself that and you owe it to her to believe that. We can tell you that we hear you. We see you. We think you're so rad and so brave. Um, but you owe it to yourself to magnify it as much or as little as you want and celebrate that in abundance. But you're going to be shamed. You're going to be on the receiving end of a deluge of questions and standards that in turn make you question yourself. But if someone tells you 
you should date someone just to make sure you're not asexual or if you're feeling that in your head, um, why? <laughs> a baby yeah. comes out of the womb in this heteronormative society and is labeled a boy. And then from that point forward, it's like given clothes that say shit like, you know, lock up your daughters, like, which is so fucked. Like, what the fuck like is future that? heartbreaker. Like we're, we're lock such- up your daughters what, from this infant. Like you're raising a predator. That's exactly Literally. what that is. Yep. You were creating um, one from birth. Well, Ew, it's like, it's fucking disgusting. yeah. And it's also just like, you know, without that having to be said, they're talking about, um, like yeah. if it says future heartbreaker, you know, you know it's, about, for women. it's about, yeah, it's about girls. Um, but like we're, we're pawns in being assigned identities all the time, mm-hmm. ones that we don't even want. So to take back that control, this heteronormative society thought it could steal from you, be the fucking loudest asexual bitch on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like- Please. Um, I saw this TikTok. People need you. Which was so funny. Yeah, people need you. Like this world needs you. Exactly. Like the world the needs you, you to do that and be you. Yeah. Um, I saw this TikTok the other day, and this woman was like, um, my son is gay. And she was like, I don't have a son yet. <laughs> yes, I watched that. Did same you see TikTok. that? Yeah, we yeah. should post that. <laughs> yeah, we will. So funny. Um, and then she was like, but so I called my dad and I told him that um, my son is gay. And he was like, you don't have a son. And she's like, oh, I know. But when I do, he's going to be gay. And he's and he's like, why? And she said, um, well, I mean, because straight people do it all the time. <laughs> when a baby comes out of the womb, they decide that they're going to be straight. So I've decided that my son is going to be gay. <laughs> And it's like, that's the truth. It's so true. And so like you will make others uncomfortable because of how celebratory you are and because how fulfilled you are in your identity will make them realize how much they're lacking. Um, and I'm bringing this back around to my favorite quote ever from Gloria Steinem, <laughs> but like the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. And so recognizing these truths is of course going to be, is going to cause frustration. The uncertainty that comes with internalizing these truths about how heteronormativity is ingrained in us is going to piss you off. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to become so okay and so chill with people not liking you and with them not being accepting of who you are because the people who you, who deserve space in your life will be. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you find your most authentic self, Anything that you dilute that version down to is a compromise and it's people pleasing and it's changing to suit the surrounding, the, your surroundings and the needs of the other person to make them feel comfortable, which why would you do that? So fall in love with yourself and then you're free. You said that so perfectly, so beautifully. Like that was absolutely okay. beautiful. The thing is, is that if you're not a cis man you need to be actively fighting against compulsory heterosexuality because it's inhibiting everybody and i remember in college we read um an excerpt of adrian rich's essay called compulsory heterosexuality and the lesbian existence that came out in 1980 because she was a fucking queen and um she died in 2012 which was really sad uh and in the essay she essentially argued from a specifically lesbian feminist point uh, that the a view that heterosexual, one, that heterosexuality is not innate in human beings. And she talked about how men's access to women is protected by compulsory heterosexuality. And the instatement of it reinforces the norms of quote unquote proper feminine behavior. 
And so she thought that women truly can't have equal power until the system of compulsory heterosexuality was completely dismantled, saying that until women can have both non-sexual and sexual relationships with other women without the imposition of cultural judgment, feminism won't literally never achieve its goals. Yeah. Even if you don't want to have a sexual relationship with the women, it's still, you're not going to have equal power. I mean, she's a legend. Mm -hmm. And so just some closing thoughts. Like I said earlier, this isn't about me despite my insight into these feelings. Um, but like my earliest memory of confronting this um, was when I not only pretended um, I was like debilitatingly attracted to men in high school when in reality I looked at Leonardo DiCaprio and felt nothing. Um, and I beat myself up and I harmed myself over that lack of attraction. And I kept asking myself, like I remember that absence of attraction causing me like, a lot of confusion and like difficulty mm-hmm. and I resorted to calling my actual crushes on women as like cute little socially acceptable and even fetishized girl crushes mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that even as I was having sex with men I was thinking of women despite the fact that imagining dating a woman set my fucking soul on fire um, even though I told myself it didn't. And I told my sister when I came out to her that I would still always end up with a man. Um, internalized homophobia. Um, peace sign. <laughs> she, she popped up and, a peace sign. <laughs> and so I can't express accurately like the gravity at which I feel these messages on a visceral level. Um, it's really hard. And leaning into sexuality and leaning into your identity is really hard but now that i have as you all well know what <laughs> i don't sh- <laughs> i don't shut the fuck up about how beautiful and celestial women you are and it's all tied thank you and it's i won't it's all tied together in this little tiny bow named jillian anderson <laughs> um and like this is just where i feel at home and i love being at home and like that feeling <laughs> is is all I, it's true i'm a homebody I love being at home so i would I, that's true. so cute <laughs> and like that feeling um is all i'm able to harness despite being saturated by heteronormativity um but that is enough right mm-hmm. like um and how that came about was just using my agency as much of it as I had um, to transform, you know, myself, my identity into the historical being I wanted her to be so that my world looked the way I wanted it to. And so that I was surrounded with people who were like me um, and who validated me. And I found queer friends and went to queer spaces. And I just allowed myself to fill myself in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so women and non-binary people are constantly told we don't know any better. And so the biggest act of, act of rebellion is just to say, fuck the man and mm. fucking trust yourself. Yeah. Like trust your gut. Trust Nobody how that- knows better than you. Yeah. Um, and Florence Given talk, talks about um, an insecurity complex, which I really, really like and which can like transcend. So many boundaries. And she basically says that inse- insecure people... And in this case, a system in the form of compulsory heteronormativity will 
heteronormative compulsory heterosexuality mm-hmm. um will try to give you a complex about something that you enjoy because the things that you enjoy are a gateway to you reclaiming discovering and harnessing your power mm-hmm. um and so like over the summer i grew up my armpit hair and my sister like physically recoiled at the thought of it so i got rid of it um but now she's back and she's better than ever. hell yeah And what I came to the conclusion of is like, I would rather be 100% comfortable in my skin than make my sister comfortable with how much I am. Um, And obviously that's a very, you know, minuscule comparison, like compared to an identity, but, you know, beauty in terms of like femininity standards in, you know, also plays a role in compulsory heterosexuality. Mm -hmm, That all connects. Yeah. Um, All of these forms of oppression within the patriarchy connect totally it's one big roof yeah so to our lesbian anon 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 (laughs) to our lesbian listener we think that you should tell your mom mom i'm so fucking gay yell it yeah go read some women love women smut and then say if you don't want to believe me that's cool that's on you but don't be surprised when i when i bring home a wife hell yeah um and to our asexual anon Anon. I Anon. hate that. Yeah, I don't like it either. Say Anon. Okay. Asexual Anon. <laughs> I don't like that either. Asexual um, listener. Yes. Your asexuality is beautiful and it's real because it's yours and you fucking make the rules around here. You do. And so when you are used to uncertainty and constant questioning, whether that's from other people or from within yourself, self-acceptance and confidence in your identity and self-assurance can feel very uncomfortable. Um, But try not to revert back to the familiar and just grow into this new space. Um, And to quote uh, Dr. Thema. Yeah, I I think so. um, She said, when clarity comes, I hope you have the courage not to talk yourself out of what you know. It is what it is. And like, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is out there. That's the truth out there. The truth is out there and you know it. That is the you truth. You know what? Mulder just there. needs to fucking trust what he knows. He yeah. knows where his sister I know. is. I know. It all connects. <laughs> it all connects. He's just fibbing. He's just he knows. He was he there. Sent, he sent us he sent Scully on this whole elaborate journey just so that he could marry her one day, but he didn't know how to ask her out on a date. So this was his this was his backup. Don't be a molder. Trust yourself. Yeah. Um and so just to sum it up, wrap it up, I know that went on for a very long time. Um beautiful. A performance will exhaust you but an expression of your fullest and most authentic self will invigorate you. And that's how, you know, that's how, you know, listen to Emily. Y'all, this is free. I I remind you. So if you're feeling bad about it being free, we have a link. And also read Adrian Rich's um, essay. Yeah. Read it. We'll read Judith Butler if you'd like. Um, yeah, all of those things are really helpful. Follow queer people, follow asexual, like follow people in your space. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, really makes a huge difference, especially now when our access to a lot of people um, has been cut off. Um, yeah, Just that constant, if, if that's what you need, that constant reassurance that, um, you know, putting yourself in spaces where you feel whole, that's, that's such an important part mm-hmm. of this all. 
It is. And Emily and said that's it perfectly. It. And you people need to rewind and listen to her again. Not that she asked the questions. You do what you need if that was helpful. But everybody else. Shush. Yeah. And that was also, I mean, obviously that transcends the two people who asked the questions, but um hope that was helpful in some in some way. I can't imagine it's not. Wanna get into some baby pregnant Jillian? Let's do it. (laughs) Bad bang. So the episode is Darkness Falls, season one, episode twenty. Oh my god. Is this our twentieth episode? Yep. That's crazy. It feels like it's about the 100th but we move (laughs) okay so (laughs) we took a little um lunch break to get (laughs) energized we're back darkness falls would you like to tell people how you got energized so uh we were talking about showering and then i was like um you know remember when Mulder was in the shower and scully like came in because he was in shock or whatever and we were just like what a scene we sat with it for a bit and then, <laughs> and then and then stevie said let's watch it so we watched it and it's the, it's the damnedest thing <laughs> it's the damnedest thing that scene um after everything is over and they go outside Mulder and scully go outside the motel um uh, there's a third actor <laughs> You know, we're just going to post the clip and you tell us when you see the third actor come in. Yeah. Okay? We're not going to say what just it is. Just... Very special extra. We'll post it. Just yeah. We'll a, post just it. a little guest star that I wasn't quite prepared for and I think I had a palpitation. But anyways, we're energized now. We're energized now and we're ready to talk about Darkness Falls. Um, I might use, like, in honor of this episode on my personal, I might finally post a picture of me in, in my Scully jacket. Wait, you might use what? I might use this occasion as a as a reason to finally post a, a picture of me in my Scully jacket. Do it. Because I have, r- listeners, I have this jacket. You know, you know the one. The infamous blue jacket. The Darkness Falls yeah, jacket. Yeah, the Darkness Falls jacket. Well, you already did post a picture of you in it, so I think we should include that one. Did I post a picture of me in it? Yes. Uh, with next to Scully, the face. The ugly one? I posted yeah. that? Yes. Uh, also, it's not ugly. It's funny. I thought it was just on my Finsta. You could never look ugly. Nope. You posted that on Twitter, baby. Yeah, we can include that. That's funny. I have this jacket. I bought it on Depop. It's the exact one. It just, the, the lighting's weird in the picture because we were just off of, it was, um, Emily took it of me off of FaceTime, but it's, it's the same jacket. All right. Should we start? Let's dive in. So. Let's tackle it. The episode opens on Olympic National Forest in Northwest Washington, present day. There's some fucking men arguing about some bullshit. (laughs) Something that could kill them and not having a plan. So many men. There's so many men in this scene. And like, honestly, like the thought of being on set with that makes me anxious. Oh, totally. Because then you know 90% of the crew was also male. And it's just like, how horrifying. That one wardrobe yeah. woman was like, um. Yeah. Right? Like. Like her and Jillian were probably like, what the fuck is going on right now? Literally. Um, so yeah, they're all, they're all arguing about something that could kill them and not having a plan and whatever. So then they're all just like, fuck it. We're going to run for it. Like, and <laughs> every man for himself. And they all have to run for help before nightfall because if they don't, the bugs 
get them. Bugs. If they have um, a long way to run, why do they start at that speed? They're not pacing themselves. They said, oh, I know. They said, we won't be able to make it before nightfall goes and in a they all sprint. Just fucking, yeah, and then they all just fucking book it. That scene was really funny. Like, it was really funny. It was like the Hunger Games, but it was just all men. What? <laughs> um, so, cut to Mulder and Scully in the basement office. We had a classic sh- slideshow on the screen. Um, Mulder shows a picture of 30 loggers working a clear-cutting contract before they all vanished. <laughs> this man inserted a blank slide to make his point. Because he was he was he was gunning on the fact that she would say that they disappeared, and when he did, he was like, "Fuck yeah, hits it." She set him up perfectly. Like, my god, dude, get out, go get a drink. Yeah. Yeah. God. Or just. uh, Yeah. I was gonna say, drink what's right in front of you. Get your straw. Nope. (laughs) I was shaking my head before it even came out. Not a straw. Oh God! Sorry. I was was like, "This is gonna be bad." Don't say it. Why did I say it? It's okay. It's okay. It's funny. You're funny. Thank you. So Doug and Stephen come up next. A picture of these two men. Mulder says they were monkey wrenchers, which basically means like eco terrorists um, or militant environmentalists, which is what Scully says because she's fucking an adult. Um, they basically sabotage the work of men who log for us. So the lumber company that employs the men asked who were in the forest in the beginning, asked the federal forest service to look into all of them vanishing. Um, so they sent two men and they also vanished. Um, and Mulder basically says that the federal forest service thinks that it's Doug and Steven who are killing everyone. Um, however, Mulder says they're wrong because in 1934, a WPA crew vanished without a trace in the exact same area. Mm-hmm. Scully says Bigfoot, and he says no as he's looking her up and down. I, this, and he's it, like, no, baby, Bigfoot's real, but he doesn't like flannel. Did you just call himself like, Bigfoot? Like, if, if you didn't hear, <laughs> if you didn't hear what was happening, and like, if you didn't hear that scene, if the, uh, you know, if yeah. you didn't hear that scene, you know, if you, if you didn't hear that scene. You know, yes. <laughs> if you could not hear that scene, if the audio wasn't in that scene and you just saw the way that he was looking at you her. You think it was a porno. The conversation, yeah. Would you think they were talking about Bigfoot? Absolutely not. Or a different Bigfoot. <laughs> you know what they say about Bigfoot? You know what they say about <laughs> if you got a Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You, you know Bigfoot's tongue. <laughs> Shut the fuck! Blow out your mic. Shut up. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> no, it has to be. You know, it has to be. You know what they say about big space foot? Yeah, that's what it has to be. Get it? Like instead yes, of like yes, you yes. know what they say about big feet, I do. just one singular foot. You know what they say about big foot? He's hung, <laughs> according to Stevie. Oh, come on. Bigfoot is giant and hairy. Like, you know I'm all about it. <laughs> Stop. Knock it off. Knock. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, about anyway. five seconds of that will stay in the episode. <laughs> um, 
Um, so, and then Scully smiles and like, you know, that song, Sarah smile. Oh yeah. No, no. It's Scully smile. That's all. Scully smile, smile. Don't you yeah. smile? Oh, I'm done. Scully. <laughs> hey. yeah. Oh, you can totally do it. <laughs> Jillian's smile lines make my knees weak and her floof is so fucking immaculate and the red lip the red lip her lips are so plump well yeah because her her entire body is swollen I know but they look beautiful that's my favorite my favorite and also least favorite part of her whole pregnancy because you can tell how swollen her face is right she's probably not very like very pouty but yeah she was probably so uncomfortable yeah but she looked beautiful so beautiful and i thought um jillian talked about how she was getting really bad morning sickness in this episode when they filmed you have that article clip yes i do and so I'm surprised they she like she looks immaculate in the red lip because normally like that would really wash her right? out. I mean I feel like she probably this is, this is now a makeup this is now a makeup and beauty part you know <laughs> seamlessly transitioning. No, I feel like she was getting really bad morning sickness um, the whole rest of the shoot because this day was separate from the rest of the days. Oh, is that a fact? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Oh that. yeah, because they're not on location for this. This this was definitely filmed on a different day. Right. <gasps> You're right. Love the red lip. So they take a nice trip to the forest. Chris Carter really fucking loves his bookends, doesn't he? He's like, oh, and they're going to blow their mind by throwing the first line at the end. Like, it's never been done which, before, sir. And also, which isn't even the last line. He, we'll talk about that later. But it's then he like fucks it up. So Scully is in her best outfit ever. Her classic 90s bomber jacket and the oversized denim button down underneath. With black a Black turtleneck underneath that. Like incredible so many layers um and her ponytail wow so they so they meet um larry moore and steve humphreys i know i have it too and larry moore is he's with the federal forest service steve humphreys is the head of security for the the lumber company and uh this larry moore character yeah i think i'm in love with him He's a famous actor. Who is he? I know, I know. He's in other stuff. I don't know what his name is. Um, I suppose we could look him up, but I'm lazy. He's so hot. He's well. He just like he he cares about the environment, and he speaks to Scully like she's equally qualified. Like what a fucking king. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, a lot of me. A lot of this is me thirsting over him. I I'm gonna apologize right now. Yeah, no, he's no. It's warranted. I'm really in love with him. Like he's Um, up there with Ed for me. Yeah. No, I agree. Like um, himbo, um, himbo extras, he's at the top for oh, sure. Oh yeah, he's yeah. Um, he still is like a himbo, even though he's smart in this one area. Totally, I just call every single man um, who I want to make a sidekick a himbo. Oh okay, I fully support that. Um, regardless of their qualifications. Oh hell yeah, no. Because like in men Scully's world, oh men are fans. Like in every. Every man in Scully's world is a himbo, as far as oh, I'm concerned. Next to her, her. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the main super superstition, the main <laughs> suspicion is that it's the uh, eco terrorists. Um, so Steve says the tree huggers. First of all, fuck Steve. Okay, let's just like I'm just gonna put that out I'm there right s- now. Like I literally cannot stand him. 
Steve is so annoying. So he says that the tree huggers are the same as draft dodgers and they're cowards because they're trying to save the trees that give us the oxygen we need to breathe. Literally so insane. Okay. Um, so they're driving up to the to the camp and the tires get blown out by one of the spikes placed by the eco-terrorists. So they have to hike up to the camp. And <laughs> the look, Scully <laughs> looks like she wants to murder someone. And Mulder is thinking it's going to be me. And as it should. Okay, they know that these eco-terrorists put like the little spikes or whatever on the road. Why are they? Why do they not have a full tire kit in the trunk? Totally. What? And why are they going so fast? Yeah. Huh? Like, slow down so you... Huh. So they make it to the camp. <laughs> Scully. Scully goes boop. She Can runs you put your tweet back. that in the thread? Yeah. Um... And so inside the cabin, basically, it looks like they, the people who were there left in a hurry. The whole cabin has been swept through, though. Well, they found some weed. Yeah, he, fo- he found some weed and let, made sure every single person knew it. He was like, guys, look, guys, look, look, there's weed. He was Did like, you hey, see Scully, this? look. Did you see this? Hey, Scully, look. look. Party favors. He's like, can we, can we light up right now? Honestly, I am older in that moment. I know I thought of you in that moment. <laughs> I was like, um, oh my god, imagine getting stoned with Mulder than having sex. Sorry. Sorry. Ooh. Out. There she is. <laughs> you have to keep that in. <laughs> yes. Do you think Mulder and Scully ever got high and had sex? God, I hope so. I, I choose to believe. There has been fix, I think, written where they steal uh, William. Why does that sound so wrong? Nice. They steal William's weed. And they oh. smoke it, and he, and then like they have sex, and then he comes home and finds them high, not having sex. He just comes yeah, home, yeah. finds them high. That's funny. I would like to read that. Anyway, so I hope like also, young them got set and got. Well, never mind. I can't even talk about got, it. Got sex and had weed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I just want to smoke some sex high. and get some weed. Smoke some sex and have some weed. Yeah, there you no, go. No, no, get some sex and have some high. Get some sex and have some high. Maybe that's the title. <laughs> roll today. That's, that's so funny. You ever smoke coffee? <laughs> Can't believe she said that. That's so funny. <laughs> that radiates us energy, big time, big time, big time. Did you ever smoke coffee? <laughs> <laughs> should we post that too yeah we will okay. yeah we will okay okay so anyways they also discover that someone has put sand and rice or a mixture of both in the generators and all of like the canisters i don't know some fucking engine bullshit they go um looking around because the sun is going to set soon and they find this cocoon that is fucking ginormous in this tree and of course of course they hoist scully up in a rope for her to go look at it and like she looks like, so uncomfy she's so close to it she's like Ugh. so palpable um, and all i was thinking this entire time was jillian was so pregnant and the poor baby was having to do all this with her morning sickness and like oh there's no worse feeling than yeah. like feeling that way and having to, to do like, shit like that. Move. Yeah. Um, and also just be out there like the fucking, the forest looks yeah, moist. It is moist in that totally. forest. The continuity of her hair is all over the place, which I think is hysterical. But like I this know. episode makes me really feel for her. She just looks like she's not having a good time and like understandably. I know. I can, 
feel her discomfort through the screen. Yeah, poor thing. Um, so she's about to cut it down, but then she notices human fingers like poking out of it. So she's like obviously disgusted. <laughs> right. So they get it down and they open it up and they find a body, a decomposed body inside. Scully says that all the fluids, it's as if all the fluids have bled from its body as she's touching it with her bare hands. I know. She had a glove too. She took off one of them. I, I was like, like had to feel it because it, it didn't feel dry, she said, no. right? It felt, or no, it did feel dry. Yeah, exactly. That was the point. So she says she thinks it's a male and Mulder makes a transphobic joke. So that's three out of three for Chris Carter. Disgusting. And so they go back to the cabin. The camera goes back to the camera. The scene cuts to back to the cabin. The cameraman walks And the around. cameraman runs through the forest back to the cabin. <laughs> um, so they cut back to the cabin and Doug, the eco-terrorist, is there just fucking eating some grub. Just kind of, you know, mousing around. Is that a thing? Yeah. Something I noticed with um, this character is that Chris Carter's clunky dialogue is like mostly offloaded to him. Which makes totally. all the interactions between Mulder and Scully work a lot better. <laughs> yep. But, yep. like, the only reason this is a decent Chris Carter episode is because it's a monster of the week and not a mythology. There's, like, a sense of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, mythology is where he really fuck, fucks up. Yeah. He just, not in a good way. No, not in a good way. Disgusting. Um, he says, uh, so Doug basically says, darkness um, is their enemy and Steve is butthurt and Doug is trying to help them. Basically, Doug says something comes from the sky and devours people alive, which would correspond with what they found in the forest. He says that bugs are afraid of the, the bugs that are eating people are afraid of the light. Mm -hmm. So they sleep with the lights on. Of course, everyone believes Doug except that piece of shit, Steve. <laughs> um, and then the next day, whatever, they go hunting, they go out exploring again. Mm -hmm. And they find this cut down tree and they look at the rings on the tree and basically they determine that it's hundreds of years old. It's a hundred, it's, it's hundreds of years old and Steve's piece of shit men cut it down, which they weren't supposed to. And this scene um, with the ranger analyzing the tree with Scully and not mansplaining to her about it and also not being threatened by not knowing what something is and being like, oh, how interesting, I'll take a sample. It was really hot, yeah. He's and he was already hot. That just, I know. Um, and so basically, they say that there's something and there's some weird ring within the other ones that shows the age that note that they haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Steve is being a little bitch and like is only concerned with arresting Doug and like is truly just a noisy bug. Like he was such <laughs> an annoying, unnecessary character. Yeah. Um. So they take the, the sample of the tree back to the cabin and they're analyzing it and they discover that there's some kind of gross bug living in the dead part of the tree, which is odd. According to Larry, um, Doug says right after they cut down this tree was when all the men and his partner died and that maybe the bugs have just been lying there dormant for hundreds of years. And when Steve's men cut the tree down, it woke them up. I really like the scene of all of them discussing the insects. This is when they're at the dinner table, right? Yeah. Um, because, like, at first, nobody's usurping anyone else's ideas. Like, they were all validating each other's intelligence and truly just brainstorming, specifically when it was just the ranger, Scully, and Mulder. But then, of course, that goes away when Mulder suddenly knows more about the forest and insects <laughs> and biology than the forest ranger and the medical doctor. But yep. we, ha we had a moment. 
And also just like literally goes off on this tangent where he just repeats, he just, he literally talked out of his ass just to reach the same exact conclusion that Doug already said. Mulder is the epitome of the, just to play devil's advocate, guy in class. Totally. Like he is the epitome of Yep. So Steve leaves and of course the car won't start so he dies finally who gives I, a shit? I wrote i'm so happy the old fart dies <laughs> yeah literally so um but also he's a dumbass because he could have just turned the light inside the car on he, 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 yep why does nobody like, do that the car were the car was running he, yeah. all he had to do was turn the light on he said Whatever. no guess i die <laughs> <laughs> so back to the cabin they're all like where the fuck is steve no one, no one really st- cares. Scully and Mulder don't care. Um, like, truly, nobody really cares. Like, oh, yeah. They just kind of accept that he's gone pretty quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. Um, so I love this scene because Mulder's making coffee and his wife is using the microscope that she brought to their little cabin getaway. It's, like, very dom- domestique. It is. Um, Mulder, and then, yeah, Mulder basically says exactly what Doug said earlier about the bugs, but it's made very dramatic and annoying, like yep. Stevie said. Doug tries to sneak out the next morning with the gas can to get his friends, who he says have a Jeep that can take them all out of there in the morning. Mulder catches him. He holds him at gunpoint, but then he lets him go. It's like, okay. Like, yeah, okay. (laughs) The theme of trust, we understand. Like, imagine for a moment if this was Scully blindly trusting this man. Like, would it pay off? Would he come back in the end and turn out to be a good guy? Like, is the overarching message that people really aren't as bad as we assume and that there is hope and trust in the world? Or is it that a man's judgment is superior and the only trust that should be validated? Totally. Because Scully trusted fucking Ed Jurse. Totally. And it's also very telling. Ooh, that's interesting. She gets almost murdered. Yeah. Yeah. For trusting somebody. Uh, Yep. Whereas Mulder's rewarded for that. For not even trusting somebody, but, like, it's framed as that. Yeah. But it's, like, for just fucking wanting to get laid. Literally. Not to get into that episode right now. It's not even life or death, like, this situation is. Like, like where trusting someone in this situation has higher stakes. Yeah. Than that situation should have with with Scully later on. Anyways, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah, and it's also very telling that in e- in EBE, I think, when mm. Scully like professed her trust in him, that he he chose very um, explicitly not to reciprocate that. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Oh no, I'm still gonna trust a few others." Yeah, and yet he's so willing to trust Doug, and not Scully. Yet. Just like, like after knowing him and knowing only bad things about him, like exactly because he's a man. Okay, to murder him. I'm going to murder Mulder. The ranger is my new man. Yeah. And I'll take Ed. But, like, without, like, the bad bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does it without consulting the rest of the crew. Dumbass. <laughs> and then when Scully tries to confront him about his fuck-up, like a true man, he says he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Scully is, like, fucking annoyed because, obviously, she doesn't want to die. And so she starts, like getting under his skin and she's very very fairly so yeah and she says you mean when i have made a decision by myself that would have that would have addicted that would have what what did she say affected that would have affected the whole group i wrote down the same quote and then Mulder goes oh will you cut the sanctimonious crap like she's right 
She's she is right. so right. Like not. She is right. No, she wouldn't have done that because she's a woman who wouldn't have had made the decision by herself. Even if it just affected her, it would be totally. so ingrained to check with fucking everybody. Totally. And it's like, I would just love to. I think I would have an orgasm if I saw Mulder admit a mistake and apologize on screen. I think I would lose my shit. Yeah, one hundred percent accountability. Wow. I can't think of a single time of him apologizing for anything. What concept? Uh, no, but I can think of a moment uh, very soon in the second season where Scully says, I just want to apologize for not trusting you because if if we had gone with what I said, we wouldn't have been here right now and we wouldn't have, you know what I'm talking about? You know what yeah, I'm talking about? Oh my fucking God. I hate that scene. That, and Mulder's oh just my like, God. and Mulder's just like, don't be sorry. Why would you trust me? No one else does. And she's like, like Scully is like forced to martyr herself. Like remember when she came into the room and the first words out of her mouth were sorry when she had crucial evidence for a case. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm like beating my own leg. So they decide basically to board the place up. They cover all the windows and tarp and shit so that the bugs can't get inside if the generator does die. But it turns out the bugs are actually everywhere and that's this residue that molder has been finding on everything mm-hmm. um and so they just have to stay in the light because it keeps them from swarming yeah is basically the issue yep. so scully freaks the fuck out because and she like, sees them on her and very like, fair um and that's how they figure all that out all yeah. that information um so Mulder then cut to I was just gonna say I was like baby it's okay I don't do bugs either yeah seriously and like it's also very telling that like they made her freak out yep and like nearly break the light bulb because like could you imagine if she broke the light bulb because of course it would be her of course it would be her fault woman can't keep her emotions under control oh I'm gonna break something um it's like all these little subtleties it's all the that's like, exactly what it is and that's why people don't see it they're like she's a feminist character and i'm like but there's all of these little digs that are constantly pushing her down lower than Mulder. Totally. like yep. always it's like oh yeah you you get this but no no mm, that's too much that's just yep. that's just quite like oh yeah not great oh i'm so, gonna cut this part out but like the whole thing about the like showing the gas being almost out like when i was a kid my dad ran out of gas constantly like, we never uh-huh. had. Like, we would run out of gas on the way to the school routinely. So it made me so anxious watching it. I'm like, yeah. that's going to run out. No, I mean, that's, like, really the only good thing about this episode. Like, the concept isn't great. The way that it's explained is not great. Mm-hmm. Like, the trajectory of this episode is very up and down. Like, there's no climax. There's no – the only good thing about this episode is, like, the urgency yeah. of of it. Mm-hmm. Um. Like the constant, the constant shots of the light, of the light bulb, um, of the generator, you know, things like that. That's really the only good thing about this episode. I mean, that's from a technical standpoint. I mean, I could name a million great things about this episode, but they're all just how Scully looks. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, cut to nighttime ish. (laughs) No, it's already nighttime. What am I saying? Cut to one of the bedrooms. Mm. Um, Mulder and Scully are sitting very closely on a bed talking about bugs and death. Heart. So romantic. So edgy. And this 
throughout the episode, but particularly in this moment, it like really made me focus on just how much Scully looks to Mulder for guidance and reassurance in this episode. And at this point, um, I think it's interesting to look at the next episode where they go to the forest um, Mm. in in detour Mm. because there are so many establishing shots of Scully walking in front of Mulder and like knowing exactly what she's doing. Beautiful growth. I love that. Um, whereas in this one, there are so many shots of Scully looking up at Mulder, so many, and like looking at him and like looking to him for guidance. Um, whereas in, I think the season five episode, she becomes her own guide and, and Mulder ultimately ends up looking to her Mm. for, for certain things for reassurance. Yeah. Which is cool. That is such a cool, that's such a good point. Like when Detour she is an him. episode in season five, listeners, if you have not yeah. seen it, where it's just like another trip to the forest. Um, but Scully is much more in command. And I love that episode. Me too. It's a great episode. But at this point, Scully is fucking horrified. No. And I really wanted to like, I mean, I don't really have the answer to this, but I was thinking like for someone who's around death so often, um, I think also coming off of her father's death, she is intensely afraid of it in this yeah. moment. And like when she, I think when she isn't able to have that clinical detachment, it's hard for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure part of her recovery in getting over her father's death was that clinical detachment that yeah. she was able to find there. Um, and I think that that's probably even more so amplified by the last episode where she brings it up twice yeah um as a way to kind of like put it out in the open and and in a professional setting Mm -hmm. um is it also very plausible that she feels this way because she cares about Mulder dying and she doesn't want to see him die and she's afraid to face that um yes yeah so I don't know. That's all I really have. But I thought that, that was interesting because she's like horrified and Jillian embodies that so well. Um, that's such a good point. I didn't even think critically about that interaction. And that makes that so much sense. It's almost like she's really struggling between um, she's really struggling between facing the reality between her very pragmatic side mm-hmm. and also her this like intense fear of, of death. Yeah which yeah i don't know that sounded better in my head no 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 that's so true Um, no don't that was so true okay um and i also just want to put out this (gasps) headcanon yes you were the best headcanons that um they fucked after that scene (laughs) because nobody was in the room nobody was in the room one two and Mulder literally says we'll think of something which is the exact line scully (gasps) uses in plus one when they're on a similar case cascading towards death and yeah so now you have to write it um listeners who haven't who haven't seen season 11 in season 11 um scully hops into bed with Mulder, and she says that exact line right before they have sex that was such a good wow oh my god my mind is blown so we see the generator sputtering and dying just as sunrise comes up. Um, and Scully is sitting on the bed with her feet barely hanging over the edge. I, know. And I just love her so much. God, she's so precious. In I this love episode. her so much. 
So it's the next morning. They take the tire from one of the trucks and they try to find to try to find the road so it like rolls down mm-hmm. um, downhill. And they find Steve all cocooned up and dead. Who gives a shit? <laughs> and Doug, our fucking man, Doug. Spinny. He pulls up in the jeep. He's like, "We got to haul ass." Scully's like good enough for me, and she hops in. She hops so right fast. in while they're still questioning him. She's like, "I'm getting in the Ooh. car." I know. Larry's like, "What about the body?" Mm. And Mulder's like, "What about your friends?" Mm. And Scully's like, "Everyone can go again." Yeah. <laughs> um. So they get going, and their traps take out the car, and Doug dies. Which this like whole plot line annoyed me because. Earlier in the episode, um, Doug makes a comment about how Steve and his loggers cutting down the tree that released the bug ended up, like, the irony in that bug then eventually killing all of his men. Mm -hmm. And now it's basically the exact same thing, saying, like, nothing like shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. But it's, like, because Doug's traps took him out and then eventually led to him Mm -hmm. dying. But it's like loggers and environmentalists are not the same and do no. not deserve the same fate, in my opinion. No, and you know what's interesting? Um, this episode won an environmental media award in nineteen ninety-four. Because of its I mean, like environmental message. And Chris Carter was literally like, Oh yeah, that wasn't intended, but thanks. Okay, he's a fucking dumb ass. That's exactly like, what I wrote in all caps. He's like he's actually a numbskull. Yeah. This episode has so many undertones that are so important and bring up so many environmental issues and and hypocrisies and Yep. Okay. And he's, he's like, just mad. Okay, you want to know something? Yeah. There's a scene in Mad Men scene. There's a plot a plot arc where basically they are trying Mad Men is about an ad agency in the 60s. They're trying to land Jaguar. Mm-hmm. And um one of the um women who works at the office joan um meets the head of jag of jaguars like the person in charge of their advertising Mm -hmm. and he's like this gross old man yeah and he of course falls in love with her (laughs) and he basically goes to dinner with um with uh two of the accounting men and says that he wants to sleep with her Mm -hmm. and basically innuendos that you know if he if he isn't allowed to do that that it would be a shame because he really wants to go to their he wants them to do his work Mm -hmm. and so one of the accounting men tells don draper that the head of the one of the heads of the agency john ham that's john ham and um and you're not going to like him, though, by the end of this. And uh, so he's, like, fucking furious. He's so appalled that they would even entertain that idea mm-hmm. for Joan. Because him and Joan have, like, this very, very um, deep connection and this bond. Is Joan Elizabeth um, Moss? No, Joan is uh, is Christina Hendricks. Okay. The redhead. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And they have both. They both have like a lot of respect for each other, and that it's that kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, and so he goes to Joan's house, 
and he says, I want you to know that it's not worth it. Like we, if, if that's what he wants, who I don't care what, what company it is. I don't want to be in business with someone who, who does, who deals that way. And she says, okay. So they go through that scene again and basically Don gives his pitch and then you find out that she had already slept with him before Don was able to get to her house and tell her not to do it. Oh. And so um, that's a major spoiler if people still want to watch the show. But, but so the whole thing was, was that Joan was going to, if the accounting man went to Joan because he's an idiot right. and told her that. Uh-huh. And, he's, and she basically was like... Um, I'm far too expensive for you. Like what I would want to do that, you couldn't afford, (laughs) which was just her way of saying like, get the fuck out of my office. Um, But she, she wanted a partnership Mm -hmm. was, was what she Mm -hmm. said if, if she was going to do it. Um, And then the next day when Jaguar calls and tells them that they're going to choose them to do their advertising, um, the, the boss calls all the partners into the room and Joan is there and Don walks in and sees Joan there. And so he knows now that, that she's, that she had slept with him. Oh yeah. And so there's a look that's like exchanged between them and it's been interpreted many different ways. This is a long story, but it's, it's the, the point is there. Yeah. Um, it's been interpreted many different ways. Some people think that he's just disappointed that it feels dirty. He doesn't like that they did it that way uh-huh. and that Joan had to do that so that they could get another side of it, which is the side that I tend to believe is that he was just mad that his pitch wasn't the only thing that landed them at the account. Oh, yeah. That like his work wasn't what got them the account, that it was possibly her sleeping with him that got. So Chris Carr is mad that the episode is being recognized for an environmental thing and not just for it being a great episode. Not just for <gasps> him, his writing. You guys, if yeah. you stuck with that, that was a great point. That really came around. And I think that that embodies him very well. Like he gets angry that episodes do well um, if his intended bizarre convoluted meanings aren't there. Yeah. Wow. But that reminds me of Chris Carter. Like that yeah, is fully. a Chris Carter embodiment. So anyways, yeah, I don't like that comparison between the logger and the environmentalists and the fact that Chris Carter, his head is so far up his ass. I'm not yep. surprised that that wasn't his intention. Yep. Um, <laughs> Clearly. All of the bugs come in through the car. Yeah. Obviously. Um, they swarm Mulder and Scully and Larry. When I watched um, this with my mom, she started screaming. Was like, "What are they gonna do? This is going really no, because it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. She's like, like you, he's getting really close. <laughs> yeah, like, you think that they're gonna die? Like, um, because like there like, is no out. You're waiting for them to be saved, and then you're like, wait, no, like what's gonna happen? Like, totally. what are they gonna do? Totally. And so an emergency rescue team comes and they find them in the car, all like semi cocooned up, but alive. Mm -hmm. And they are transferred to a high containment facility in Washington. They're all being cared for. And Mulder walks in and he looks like a little penis with his cap on. Doesn't look like a penis. Um, Like, and this ending is really poorly written because 
Mulder and the doctor are going on and droning on and on and on about like what the bug was and what it was similar to. They were trying to do a Scully field report at the end, but in a different way. Totally. At this point, nobody cares what the bugs actually were or why or how they did what they did. It again is all just to serve Mulder and his interest in the alien or extraterrestrial or paranormal entity over the well-being of those he put in harm's way. Including his partner including his partner like it's so fucking telling that he's the one walking around doing well while scully is not even out of the woods yet according to the doctor even though what the doctor is telling him is answering questions that scully brought up yeah literally earlier in the episode so frustrating like can you just pin that for a second molder and have some fucking like see if they can do anything for your partner who's dying like fuck seriously off. And as far as I'm concerned, like this episode should have ended with him saying, I told her it was going to be a nice trip to the forest. It should have. The doctor dude saying that like failing to eradicate the bugs isn't an option. It's like, we get it. The government destroys things, whatever. Yeah. Like, is this a larger reckoning for Mulder where he's forced to realize that like any evidence that he finds and doesn't see all the way through, or if the government gets their hands on the evidence before he does that, they'll destroy it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not also, the time for it. Like there cares? are other moments. Like yeah. Exactly. Where it would hit harder. So stupid. Because it ultimately just all comes back around to being focused on Mulder when it's like, I'm pretty sure this is a shared journey at this point. Yeah. But. Pretty sure, considering her life's been threatened on numerous occasions now. Numerous. Yeah. Not fun. And then there were four episodes left episodes left in the first season season one i know can you believe that no i can't that's wild that's so wild we did the math and it would take us around like it'll take we have like two more years left so don't fret yeehaw plenty more (laughs) yeehaw is right should we do jillian's corner jillian's corner can we sing yeah okay ready Okay, so we're Jillian's Corner. I brought two fun videos. Um, <laughs> She's ready. Let's do it. Ready. One, because I think, sorry, my head was fully kicked in now, so I'm, okay. I'm unhinged. Let's um, do it. But I think it's so fucking hard when you're in a situation, especially if you're in one in public, to call out something that makes you uncomfortable and to speak up like even in a small way um and i forgot how this connected to our questions i thought it did well i think it's just like um i think it's it's uh in line with the theme of people uh bringing up things or or questioning things that you know to be true and what you know is right. That's exactly what it was. And so I brought in two little moments in the 90s where Jillian calls out some homophobia on um, national television because how fun. I Um, have the, the, I just, I don't have any notes or anything, but I just had just for a placement, I have our girl calling out homophobia, yee yee. Yee yee. And it's like, looking at this, I'm not like, worshiping her for this because this is truly the the bare minimum right but i find it really admirable because i have such a hard time asserting what i'm feeling in any situation 
especially when talking to men, especially when talking to groups of people that are feeling against you. Like it's really Mm. hard to stand in yourself and it's easy to question what your actual beliefs are instead of just trusting what's inside, which is what she did. It all connects. I just wanted it to be a bookend. Um, No, totally. This is perfect. So one of them is, I'll just describe it a little bit for like the people who don't have us on social media. We'll post the videos. But one of them is um, her on the Jon Stewart show. She's promoting Playing by Heart. And she comes in. And one of the first things she says to him in the interview is, I I have to tell you something. Like, don't let me forget. Like, make sure there's time at the end of the conversation to do that. So she came in ready to tell him. And then at the end, she calls him out for a homophobic joke he made on a radio show. But she does it in like the in such a nice way that's like what the fuck was that he was like yeah i don't know and like it was she's unrelenting yeah yeah completely um my um that interview has a really special place in my heart because when she comes in she sits down on the couch oh yeah (laughs) we'll post two clips from this because that needs to be yeah like the audience stops cheering and this guy in the audience just goes god i wish i was that couch like loud enough for them to hear and both john stewart and julia they're like oh and emily really identifies with that man i really feel for that man. it wasn't even like a cat call it was like it just slipped out like he yeah just he was like he really so bad. he was just feeling it so hard he was like oh god i want to be that couch <laughs> it just came out loud Came out very loud. A very inopportune time for the audience to go silent. Literally, and and John um, Stewart is like mad. Oh, John Stewart's so mad because they're friends. I know. Oh, they're such cute friends. I love them. Um, but I love that she calls them out on that, and I love that she Especially makes sure. Friends. Yeah, I like that she makes sure, and I think um that she gets it in, and I think it's nothing to be praised for overly. But um, I mean, I'd never seen. An interview like that? No, me I mean, either. I've never seen someone do that on a national interview. Yeah, national and I feel like it just shows thing. you that you you can stand in in what you're trusting, and, it, and it's okay. Totally, you know, totally. Like you don't have to question yourself just because other people are. Absolutely. Um, and then the other one, because I've been on a few occasions, um, was she's on the View. I think it's 1999. I think it's it's the same tour, the same press junket. She's mm. promoting Playing by Heart still. Um, and this is, we've talked about this interview before to where they were trying to mm. show um, a calendar of her that she didn't want shown, that she wasn't sanctioned to be on, whatever. And they yeah. were like, and she was clearly uncomfortable about it when we talked about that one photo shoot. Anyways. Um, and then they painted her as di- being difficult. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I hate this interview so much. Me too. Um, and then, so later they're doing a, a, they're playing a game on like what, what's a deal breaker with a man, right? And well, Jillian's answer is if they make a racial joke and like, you know, the poster child of racism, Jillian Anderson. <laughs> the poster child to uh, ending racism. I'm joking. It's good that she cares about it. It's just since the Black Lives Matter, she's like made it her, as you should, like you should be vocal about it, but she's just, it's just in every interview, they could be like, what do you have for breakfast? And she'd be like, did you know racism is still present in today's society? She'll be, they could ask her what she had for breakfast and she'll be like, you know, I was, I I had some oatmeal, but I was listening to these two podcasts um, about, you know, 
Black Lives Matter, and I just think it's deplorable. It's disgusting. The racism in this world. It's funny because it's like she's like, you know, token liberal white lady. Yeah, like <laughs> she cares. Um, so that so she said it was a racial joke, and then I think it was Joy or whatever starts questioning, yeah, being like, Joy. "Well, what are you gonna do if they make a racial joke, Jillian?" And she's like, "Well, I would walk away." And she'd be like, "Well, it doesn't make the point if you walk away." <laughs> and she's like, "Okay, I would tell them that that's wrong, and then why?" Well, she had to literally walk her through what she would do. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> And, and then, she's like, okay, what do you want? Like, I would first say that's not okay. And then, like, this is stupid. Literally. But then later, like, and then one of the other ladies. Joy, Joy, Joy literally was like, even in a big group, it's not so easy when you're with more. Jillian was like, oh, my God, bitch, yes. <laughs> and then she's like, give me. It's what's funny because then five seconds later, she does it to that big group. Exactly. Like, right after they were talking about it, which is really funny. Um. And so it's so funny, right? So funny. Um, so funny. So then one of the other ladies, I don't know any of their names. Um, I have no idea. Other than Joy. <laughs> um, Who cares? And, and one of them says... Oh, Meredith Fiera. Oh, yeah. Is on there. Oh, yeah. But one of the other ladies is basically like reading through a really long list as a joke. And one of them is if they have a hint of mint. And they just like then go through and list a bunch of really fucking horrible ways to describe a man being gay. Like like innuendos or whatever the fuck um and then jillian says well i don't know exactly what she says i should have looked it out i should have written she it down, says but like- she says um well because meredith Vieira is like making a joke and she's like to the other woman who made that long list meredith Vieira is like well i'll take him if you don't want him <laughs> and everyone is like you already have someone and she's like no i do i've seen this interview a couple of times yeah. and you couldn't tell no and meredith i was hoping Vieira- you would know it and Meredith Vieira goes, yeah, well, mine's got a little, a little hint of mint. And everyone is like, uh, no, he doesn't. No, he... And Jillian just goes, well, I mean, so what if he does? I mean, what? She's like, what is? She's like, what would you do? And then Meredith Vieira is like, well, I mean, it might change their relationship a little bit, but like, I still love him. And then the other lady who's sitting next to Jillian is like, it might become more like a kind of brother-sister relationship. And Jillian is just like, what the fuck am I hearing? Literally. On both sides of my head right now. What is going on? Um, you know what she says. And then, and then Joy is like, you know, I always thought that my mother should have been in a relationship with a gay man Stupid. because she liked horses and like you know opera uh, going to the opera yeah like she would have been much better off with a gay man and then jillian is like well i mean usually partners are happiest with what they're happiest with and if you are in a relationship with someone <laughs> who is gay then they aren't happiest in that relationship but i don't know that it's necessarily something to make fun of and then the woman next to her gets really defensive yeah, she does. And she starts being like, well, I'm not going to take him if he's gay. I don't want to have sex with that. And we're like, oh, oh, simmer. Jillian is not saying, okay. no one is saying that you're going to seek <laughs> out a gay man or that a gay man is going to seek you out. Exactly. That defeats the Jesus whole purpose. Christ. She was saying Why would someone do that? People struggling with saying, their sexuality. Totally. Yes, literally. She like, was saying if you are in a relationship with someone who ends up being gay, who realizes, who comes into that sexuality 
when they're dating someone of the opposite sex or someone that they are no longer attracted to. It's probably a difficult journey. It's probably a difficult journey. And she's saying that that is not something to make fun of. Yep. No one's saying you have to date a gay... What? Hello? And she's literally screaming out the whole time and Jillian just like was resigned. (laughs) But I love those two interview moments from her. I know, me too. Not too. John Stewart handles it well. John Stewart handles it really well, yeah. Um, um, but the the ladies of The View do not. Not at all. Honestly, I'm cutting this out, but I fucking hate The View because they play into every female stereotype that's horrible. Totally. And like, what? Yeah. I'm like, can you stop? I hate The View. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, um, they had some choice words for after Jillian was on about what they really? guess she was. I believe so, yeah. I'm sure they fucking did. That's not surprising to me. Anyways, we love so her we for it. That. Yeah, we love her for it a lot. I'm pretty sure you do too, listener. Um, and uh, that's the episode. That's it. Jillian is so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And She's Emily, a beautiful what a fucking person. privilege to listen to you talk about what you're passionate about. Truly, what a privilege. I feel Thank honored. You. You're welcome. I mean it. Sweet. I love you. I love you. Um, everyone, go back and listen to the beginning again. Listen Shut to my up. friend. Listen to her. Oh. You have to listen. If you're gonna listen to that, listen to um, Stevie's from last episode as well. Stop. Listen to that whole begin. No, no, bitch! I didn't tell you to stop. <laughs> I was trying really hard. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. You can't do that. <laughs> Go back and listen to Stevie's episode beginning, which was so brilliant and magnificent and beautiful in every single way. Thanks, baby. From yesterday. From yesterday. From the other episode. The last episode. <laughs> Well, it was yesterday for us. <laughs> it was yesterday for us, but yeah, the last episode. <laughs> I love you. I love you. And we Just love you, such listeners. Women. I know. You How lucky and Jillian, are we? Beautiful inside and out. I feel so lucky. I know. Okay. We're going to um, maybe throw some more love about back and forth to each other, but privately, we're going to let you guys go. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna oh, let I you know, know it's been great. Here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. We love you. Thank you for listening. Love and we'll, you. we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>